Hello, and welcome to Dream City. My name is Melissa, and I want to thank you for joining us today. If this is your first time with us, whether in person or online, please let us know by texting WELCOME to 402-383-1874. Now sit tight as service is about to begin. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? I just want to take a moment and apologize for my wife saying that it was going to snow tomorrow. We just want to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. We will speak life and not death. <laughs> Pastor Doby always says that, that you are a thermostat. You're meant to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. Thermometers just tell the temperature. Thermostats set the temperature. So we're going to believe that it's going to be 60 degrees tomorrow. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here with us. Those of you that are joining online, thank you for being with us as well. We've got folks joining us from Montana, from Iowa, New Mexico, North Dakota, Lincoln, Nebraska, and our missions team down in Colorado City is online with us this morning. Can we just put our hands together this morning and let our online viewers know that we appreciate them and we're glad that they're here with us today as well. Today we're going to continue our series. Last week we began uh, talking about being reborn or being born again, experiencing this, this new life in Christ. We, we talked about how that this is a, a concept, the, the doctrine of regeneration, if you will, is found really throughout the New Testament. It's found in, in Paul's writings, it's found in John's writings, it's found in Peter's writings. And, and we first see this this idea presented to us in John chapter 3. This morning, if you have your Bibles and you're going to be following us along with a hard copy, physical copy Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. We're going to start there for a quick refresher. And then if you want to flip over to the book of 1 John, not the gospel of John, but, but 1 John, we're going to be there and we're going to read a couple scriptures out of 1 John. If you're wondering where is 1 John and how do I get there, you go to the end of the book, Revelation, take a left. You'll pass Jude, and then backwards you'll go from 3 John to 2 John, and then you'll find 1 John. It's very easy to find. So if, if you have your Bibles, if, if, you, if you don't have a physical copy, you're following us along uh, on, on an app, or you're following the notes in the Dream City app, uh, or if you don't have your Bible today, that's okay, because we've got you covered as well. The verses will be on the screens for you. But we're going to start with a quick refresher. Last week, we introduced this idea, and really, as Jesus introduced this idea, he's having a conversation in John chapter 3 with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He comes to Jesus, and he, he, he starts the conversation by saying, Jesus, we all know <laughs> We all know that God sent you. We all know that you are a teacher. We all know that you do these things by, by God and through God because of all of the signs and the wonders that we've seen. And Jesus cuts him off and cuts right to the heart of the issue because he doesn't address the words coming out of Nicodemus's mouth, but he addresses the question in Nicodemus's heart because God doesn't look on the outward. He looks on the heart. And so Nicodemus came with a question. He didn't pose it to Jesus, but he had it in his heart. And the question was this, what must I do to get to heaven? Here I am, a religious leader, a teacher. I know the law front to back. I could quote it to you. I've, I've kept it. I, I abide by it. I do all of the things that the law tells me to do, but there must be something else. Jesus, what must I do? And in John chapter three, here's Jesus's response. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus kind of has this freak out moment and he says, well, what do you mean? Because how can I, an old man, or how can any old man for that matter, go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus, this doesn't make sense. Jesus said, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. He continues and says that humans can only produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. That is that new birth. That is that that regeneration, that new life that we have access to in Christ. And that comes from and through the Holy Spirit. So don't be surprised when I tell you that you must be born again. So we're looking and we're, we're, we're talking about this new life. And Jesus presents it to Nicodemus and says, you need to be born again because without it, you won't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. Last week, we talked about the what, the why, and the how of rebirth, of being reborn. And if you weren't with us, I would encourage you to go back because that message is very foundational for where we're going over the next couple of weeks. But, but we kind of set the foundation and said that we all need to experience this new life. But as within the natural, anytime there is new life, there is new growth and there is progress and there is change. Because how many of you know healthy things grow? Dead things don't. And so if we, are, if we are spiritually healthy, if we are physically healthy, if we are mentally, emotionally, physically healthy, then we should be growing in those areas. If we see no growth in our lives, it's not somebody else's fault, but it's our own. So many times people will, will come into a church or come into a setting and they will say, well, I used to be at this church and before this church, I was at that church and before that church, I was over here. Okay, well, why have you changed all of these churches? Well, I just wasn't growing there. Okay, and, and, I, and I hear, now understand, I, I understand that as the pastor, it is my job to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So in some cases, that equipping may not be happening, which I, I get there are cases like that, but... That, I would say, is the exception rather than the rule. I think more often than not, what happens is we come and we hear teaching, and rather than applying it and doing it, we expect the pastor to feed us, and it just magically happens. And then when we don't apply it, and then we don't see growth, it's like, well, I, I, I'm going to go find somewhere else then, because I'm not growing. Okay, well, if you're not growing, then there must be something wrong. Let's, let's look at what might be wrong. And so if we have this new life in Christ, if we've believed and accepted and received him, not just as our savior, but also as our Lord, there are, there are markers that should be there in our spiritual lives. As a, as a child, there are markers and there are things that, that we take note of as parents. I told you last week, first steps and first words and the first steak that they eat. There are those markers and those things that we remember. We make mental note of those of those things. In our spiritual life, it should be the same. In the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about a couple of those spiritual markers, and we're going to be in the, the book of 1 John. And 1 John is a letter that John writes to a group of believers, and, and it's a very short book. I would encourage you today, this afternoon, go home and read it. And then tomorrow, read it again. And over the next couple of weeks, continue to, to make that a part of your study and uh, and, and your devotion time. But in, in 1 John, there, there's five chapters, but he consistently goes back to these two ideas, these two, these two topics. He consistently goes back to talk about sin and he consistently goes and he talks about love. Now, 
His letter is not linear like the Apostle Paul's typically are, where we go from topic to topic to topic to topic to topic, and then we wrap it up in a conclusion. John kind of just goes all over the place. He's over here, and then he's talking about love, and then he comes back to sin, and then he talks about fellowship, and then he comes back to love and back to sin. Throughout all five chapters, you will see this play out. In the five chapters of 1 John, he mentions sin 27 times. In the five chapters, he mentions love 47 times. That's how much he talks about these two ideas, how that if we have this new life in Christ, this is what our lives should now look like. First John chapter one, and we're gonna bounce around a little bit. We're gonna go chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, just to give you a little, uh, some snippets of what John says. But he says, this is the message that we, as, as Jesus's followers, as those who were there, this is the message that we heard from Jesus. And now we declare it to you that God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying. I just want you to just pause there and let that sink in. We, we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. You are, you are, you sir are a lie. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. He said it through the inspiration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I did You are lying if you say that you have fellowship with God, but continue to walk and live in spiritual darkness. It's not possible. Chapter two, let's, let's go on. What else does John have to say? He says, since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Remember, we talked last week, this idea of being reborn. We, it says rebirth, it says reborn, it says regenerate, it says new life. But anytime it talks about us being God's children, it's that same idea. Because children are those who have come into new life, have experienced that new life. And so, so if Christ is righteous, that all who do what is right are God's children. And all of you mass people know that then the inverse of that would be true as well. That if those who do what is right are God's children, then those who do what is wrong are not God's children. Are you following me? So if I do what is right and live righteous, then that's a sign, it's a marker that I have experienced new life and I'm living as a child of God. But if I continue to live in spiritual darkness, if I continue to live in sin, if I continue to not do what is right, then that shows that I haven't received this new birth. Are you following me today? Chapter three, let's continue. Those who have been born into God's family, again, new birth. Those who've been born into God's family do not make it a practice of sinning. Now, if you're reading from the King James version today, this verse reads a little bit differently. King James version says that that those who have been born in God's family do not commit sin. And if you were to read that in the King James without understanding of of ancient literature and in the ancient language, you would read that and think, well, then that means I will never sin again. Those who don't commit sin are the ones who have been born into God's family. But 
if you understand that that word sin in the original language is a present infinitive, which basically is a fancy way of saying it's something that is continuously and ongoingly and, and ongoing and it continues to happen. So, so what he's saying is not those who commit a sin one time, but those who continue in and have this ongoing lifestyle of sin. That's why the New Living Translation, the NASB, all translate this. They don't continue to practice sin. Are you following me? Just wanted to make that clear for you. Those who have been born into God's family don't make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. As we read, and as you this week continue to read in the, the, the letter of 1 John, the book of 1 John, you will continue to see him talk about sin and the victory over sin that we should be walking and living in as we have experienced this new life in Christ. Today, I want us to talk really, really quickly. I want us to define sin. I want us to talk about what is sin, but I think we all kind of understand what sin is. Even those of us maybe who are new to church or new to faith, we understand we don't have to be told how messed up we are, right? Like I don't need to take 20 minutes and tell you how jacked up you were before Jesus, we don't, how jacked up some of you still are and Jesus is still working. It's, it's okay. I don't have to spend time doing that because we all know that. But I, I want us to talk a little bit about what sin is because I don't want us to be mistaken. I want us to have a clear understanding of what sin is when God's word mentions sin. But, but more than that, I want to equip you today and I want to give you tools. And so at the end, I want to give you four steps to overcoming sin. How can I over, now, now that I recognize the sin in my life, what can I do? What can I do about it? So really quickly, what is, what is sin? And I want to I tell you, like, there's different kinds of sin. There's different types of sin. And, and we could go very deep into the, the idea of sin. But, but I want to give you a couple because when the Bible mentions sin, there's, there's different ways that it presents it. And there's different ways that it mentions it. And there's different things that it means by it. Not, not all, and every time it says sin, it doesn't mean, you know, just the act, of, the act of doing something wrong because it talks about this sinful nature. Well, what, is, what does that mean? See, as we, as we understand God's word, as we study God's word, we see, first of all, there is this, this inherent, this inherited, this original sin that each and every one of us is born into and born with. There's nothing that you can do about it. And this isn't your fault. This is Adam's fault. Dang it. This is Adam's fault. And Romans tells us that through Adam, sin entered the world. And because one man sinned, all have sinned. So there is, this, there is this sinful nature that each and every one of us is born into. For those of you that were born into a family or with parents who were Yankees fans and you were born into Yankee fandom, it would be the same thing. That is that inherited sin that you were born into, nothing of your doing, but of those who came before you. Are you following me, Nathan? Because I think you're online right now. <laughs> there are those inherited, that inherited nature that we all that we all have been born with. This speaks to man's moral state. We are, we are sinful by nature. It's the old saying that we don't, we're not, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. 
I was a sinner before I ever committed a sin. Why? Because I was born with this sinful nature inside of me. And so when we read God's word, we have to understand that, that there is this nature that, that I'm fighting with constantly. And Paul mentions it in Romans chapter seven, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And so my sinful nature is fighting against my, my spirit nature, which has been made alive in Christ. And, and what do I do? Thankfully, God gave us an answer through Jesus Christ. That's what he finishes chapter seven with. And then begins chapter eight with, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has paid the price and he has set me free from my sinful nature and made me alive to my spirit nature through this new birth. There is this inherited sin. There is imputed sin, which, which essentially is, is a legal, it's a legal term, which means that when we sinned according to God's law, sin was credited to my account. Romans tells us that before the law of God, but before the law of Moses came, that people from Adam to Moses were still sinning. Why? Because there was that sinful nature. But then when God gave them the law, when they, when they transgressed against the law, there was imputed sin credited to one's account based on my actions in regards and response to the law of God. Jesus came and he paid the price for that when he hung on the cross and he paid the, the price for my sin. He took the sin that was in my account, out of my account, into his own account and instead deposited righteousness. So there is inherited, there is the inherent, the original sin that we're all born with. There's the imputed sin that when I, when I look at the law of God and I don't honor my father and my mother, that sin has been credited to my account. And then there's personal sin. That's the, the daily manifestation of the sinful nature in me. That's the daily struggle of, do I, do I be led by the spirit today or do I led, be led by John today? Do I do what the spirit wants me to do or do I do what my selfish desires want me to do? It's James chapter one, we're all, we're all tempted when from our own evil desires, we are dragged away and enticed. And when it, temptation has its chance, it'll give birth to sin. And sin, when it's had its chance, will give birth to death. But it, it comes from me. Why? Because there's that sinful nature in me. And as we read God's word, we see different types of sin or, or sin described in different ways. But the good news is that Jesus came to free us from every kind of sin. Yes. Paul writing to Titus, look at, what, look at what he says in chapter two. He says, he gave his life, who's he? He is Jesus. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin. Yes, every, every sin that I could commit, but also every type of sin, the, the sinful nature that is in me, the sin that was in my account when he hung on the cross. And then that sin that I struggle with every single day, he came to free us from every kind, to cleanse us and to make us his own people. Amen. Totally committed yes. to doing good works totally committed to doing good deeds. Does that describe you? One who is, is totally committed. Like in my head, I want to, and in my heart, I want to, but in practice, sometimes I miss it. Are you, are you like me? Yeah. It's, that personal, it's that personal sin. But Jesus, through the new life, through the death on the cross and the resurrection, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's freed me from every kind of sin. And I can find that freedom in him. Okay, so, so we understand sin. I, I get that. But, but what, is that, 
What is that personal sin? What does sin mean? The word sin literally means to miss the mark. It means to, to look at God's perfect standard of measurement, which is his word, and evaluate my life up against his, his word, and recognize all the ways that I fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. It says that each one of us has sinned. God's word shows us what sin is. And in James chapter four, James, right? And, and here's, what, here's what James has to say about it. He says, this is what sin is. Sin is to know what you ought to do and then not do it. This is a very challenging definition for me because there are good things that I know I should do every day that I don't always do. James says, for you to know what is good and do it not for you, that is sin, right? First John says that, that sin is anything that goes against the law of God. You can find different definitions throughout depending on what, what type of sin. Is it my sinful nature? Is that the, that sin, the price that I have to pay? Or is that that daily struggle with my flesh that, that it's talking about? Okay, so what do I do? How do I, how do I overcome it, Pastor John? Because I've tried everything and, and I, I'm, I'm just at a loss right now. So give me four steps. Okay, are you ready? If you're taking notes, these are the things that you definitely need to write down. If you're not taking notes, that is a sin and you need, no, I'm just kidding, it's not. But if you know you should and you're not doing it, then it becomes a sin, right, James? So if you're not taking notes, write these down. Listen, I was talking to somebody this week and, and they're going through a, a hard time in their lives. And, and it was really one of those opportunities for fear to come up inside of them. And so they, they messaged me and like, Pastor John, what do I do? And so I said, listen, I said, first, like I will be praying for you. You need to go to God in prayer. I said, but I would encourage you, go back to January of 2019 and rewatch the Fearless series from the beginning. Rewatch that. And so they, they did and they came back and it's like, listen, I went through my notes and then I took new notes and what God showed me then and what God is showing me now and what he's speaking to me. But they had the notes from before. I would encourage you, take notes because you never know when you're gonna need these. Tomorrow when you're sinning. How do, I, how do I overcome sin? Number one, call it what it is. Yes. Call it, listen, just call it what it is. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to rationalize it. Stop trying to justify your actions. Stop trying to, to explain it away. Well, that's just the way that I am. No, that's sin. It's just, it's, it's, it's how I was raised. no. It's sin. Well, look at the hand that I've been dealt. What do you expect me to do? Not sin. We try and explain it. We try and rationalize it. It's just a white lie. No, there are no white lies because all lies come from the father of lies. It was just a little fib. No, it was sin. Well, it was just, no, it wasn't just. And it's never just, it is sin, it is transgression, it is against God's perfect standard of, of measurement, it is, it is creating separation between you and the Father, it is leading you on a path that leads to destruction, it is never just, it is what it is, and what it is is sin. It's not a character flaw. It's not a slip up. It's not a lifestyle. It's not a bad habit. It's sin. And we need to start calling it that. Stop trying to rationalize it. Well, compared to them, my sins, listen, 
Compared to that person, I'm not that bad. Or here's another one. Here's another one. Compared to the old me, I'm not that bad. Listen, that's great. But your neighbor, your coworker, and the old you are not your standard of measurement. You're never told to measure yourself against where you used to be. And as long as you're better than you used to be, then you're fine. No, it says to have this mind, which is in me, this is the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ? Or is your mind taking you all over the place? Are you picking up your cross and dying to yourself daily? Or are you still living according to your selfish desires? Call it what it is. They're not my standard of measurement. I'm not my standard of measurement. God's word is what I am supposed to measure myself against. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? That's sin. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? God doesn't. God, listen, and I'm going to burst some of your bubbles today, and I'm sorry. But God... <laughs> Pastor Doby really wants me to get on you today, <laughs> clearly. God doesn't, God doesn't, he, he's not sitting up in heaven, biting his nails, saying, I wonder and I hope that they're happy today. What can I do to make them happy today? That's not, that's not God's concern. God God doesn't concern himself with your happiness. He's concerned with your level of holiness. And through that holiness, it doesn't produce happiness, but it does produce joy in the spirit. And so, and so like this whole, well, God wants me to be happy. Okay, well, no, no, I'm sorry, sweetheart. He doesn't. We try and explain it away. All the time. And then we, we, we abuse grace in that as well. And one of the things Paul says in his writings is that God's grace is so, so beyond our scope of even comprehending. He says, so what do, we, what do we do in response? What do we say in response to this grace? Does that mean that we just keep on sinning? No, of, of course. He says, of course not, right? But some of us do that because we know that he's such a good father. And so, you know, we've all heard the, the saying that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So it's like, well, I'll just do it because I know he'll forgive me. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go over here and I'll do this and I'll live this way for three months. And, and when I've had my fill, then I'll come back because I know that he'll, know that he'll forgive me. Stop abusing God's grace. Start calling it what it is, and what it is is sin. Look at Psalm 32. David is writing, and here's what he says. He says, finally, 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 I confessed all my sins to you. Notice he didn't say all my character flaws. I, I, I confessed all my bad habits to you, God. I confessed all those little slip-ups, all those little white lies. No, he says, I confessed all my sins to you because that's what it is. And stops trying to hide my guilt. I stopped trying to cover it up. Finally, I confessed all of those things. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. And as a result, all my guilt is gone. Amen. 
It's time for us to stop trying to rationalize, justify, make excuses for, hide, cover up, clean, whitewash, do anything other than calling sin what it is. And I think one of the reasons why so many of us struggle with sin is because we fail to call it what it is and what it is is sin. The second step. So I've, I've, I've called it what it is. I, I see that. What do I need to do next? I need to confess and I need to repent. Yes. Confess and repent. Going back to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, once I call it out in my life, once I see it, then the next step is to to confess it and to repent. To confess it means to acknowledge it, to let him know I recognize that it's there, to bring it into the light, but the repentance is the turning from it. A lot of times we think that confession is repentance, but it's not. Because I can come and I can confess my, my sins and I can say, hey, Jesus, I sinned. Uh, I know you know that, but, but just as a, an act of confession, I've sinned. Thank you for your forgiveness, but I'm gonna go ahead and pick it up and take it back with me as I leave. And a lot of times when we confess, that's what happens. We come, we acknowledge, we confess, but as, as he forgives and washes us, we, we go back to the drain to take those things back out of the drain put them back in our pockets as we leave. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. So it's not enough just to come and say, Jesus, here's my sin, forgive me, but I need to turn from that and start going in a new direction. The road to destruction is wide and many go there and many find it, but the road that leads to life is narrow and few will find that. I I need to change the road that I'm on. I need to exit that freeway and jump on this new freeway that comes through repentance. I need to, to confess and I need to repent. Not only do I need to confess to God, but, but James chapter five says to confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other that you might be healed. Why do we need to confess? It's the, the same reason that all access, we have that, the, the, the confession activation because, because anything that you bring into the light loses its power over you. As long as I keep something in the dark, then it has control over me. It has, it has power over me. I'm giving power to that thing over me. But the second I bring it into the light, it like, it dissolves. Its power dissolves. Its power goes away. So those things in your life, and I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of you right now, that you have hidden in your closet in your life, those things that you have in that dark place that you have not brought into the light, continue to this moment to have power over you. The only way to overcome that is first to confess it, bring it into the light, and then repent of it and turn and go in a different direction. So I've, I've called it what it is. I've, I've repented. I've, I've confessed. What's next? What, what do I need to do now? Okay, now you need to remove and replace. Are you getting anything today? Good, I hope you are. You need to remove and replace. Sometimes we try to remove sin without replacing it. Sometimes we try to take one thing out of our lives and then just leave this empty void there. Jesus, Jesus says that, that when a, when an evil spirit is cast out of somebody, we'll go into the desert 
And after a while, it will come back to its original home and find that the home has been cleaned out and swept and now everything's in order and it'll move right back in, not just with him, but with seven other evil spirits, worse than the first. What is the, the principle here? The principle is that anytime something leaves, we need to, we need to replace it, right? Paul says that very clearly in Ephesians chapter four. He says to, to throw off, to take off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. That's that, that's that sinful nature, that inherited sin that we talked about, that we're all born with. And he says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, put on your new nature. So we're taking off one nature, putting on a new nature. And this has the idea of like, when you get dressed in the morning, what are you putting on? What are you clothing yourself with? When you woke up this morning, what did you put on before you came to church? And I'm not talking about that nice shirt that you had ironed. I'm not talking about that, that nice dress that you had set out the night before. I'm talking about what mind, what attitude, what heart, what, what did you put on spiritually before you came to church today? Some of us came in putting on shame, wearing rejection into church. Paul says to throw off that old nature, put on your new nature created to be like God, which is what? Happy? No. <laughs> Truly righteous and holy. It's this, this taking off. But if, if it was just the taking off, he would have just left it at that. But he says, no, it's not enough to take off. Now you also need to put on. We were talking about this in, uh, in, our, in my small group this week, Thursday morning, 7 a.m. men, Bible study, my office. Throwing it out there. We're talking about that in, my, in, my, in our Bible study this week, how that, that, you know, Jesus says that if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And we were talking about this spiritual amputation that we all need to, to undergo, that whatever it is that's causing sin in us, God, show us that thing so that we can cut it off. But as we, as we began to discuss that, we said, well, it's not just enough for the amputation to occur, but like there's this spiritual prosthesis that God wants to bring in and to replace it with. He wants to cut off that old nature and cut off those, those old thoughts, those old patterns, those old sins, but he wants to also come in and to, to replace those things. It's not enough just to put one vice down to pick up another one. I'm gonna stop smoking, so I'm gonna start chewing. I'm gonna stop watching porn, so I'm gonna start watching every R-rated movie that I can find. It's got real quiet in here. It's not enough to replace it with another sin, but, but what are you replacing those things with? Rather than picking up my phone when I feel tempted to look at something, that I know I shouldn't be looking at, rather than opening that app, you know what I'm gonna open? I'm gonna open the Bible. Rather than going to that, what am I going to, what am I choosing to replace that with in my life? Rather than picking up the phone to call somebody and gossip at the, the latest juicy news that I found, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna hit my knees and I'm gonna start praying for that person individually. Rather than spreading it around, God, let me take this to you because they're hurting. So let me pray for them that you would encourage them and strengthen them and build them up. Rather than, than saying yes to that seventh piece of mama's pizza, maybe I need to say yes to a cup of water. Don't judge me, they're small pieces. <laughs> but what are, you, what are you replacing those things with in your life? It's not just enough to, to rip something out, but God, replace my old mind with the mind of Christ. 
God, replace my old desires with your desires. God, replace the, the temptation to live according to my sinful nature with, God, the, the, the hunger and the thirst for righteousness because then I would be filled. God, replace those, those parts of me that caused me to live contrary to your word with this, this discipline and this desire and this fire burning inside of me to do everything that I can to live the life that you have called me to live. God, help me to remove, but then also would you replace. And then the fourth step is this, receive power over it. So we need to call it what it is. What's number two? Confess and repent. Good. Three of you are taking notes today. What's number three? Remove and replace. Very good. Hopefully those of you online, you're following along with us as well. And then the, the fourth step, the fourth key to overcoming the power of sin in my life is to receive power over it. Because you have power over your sinful nature. You have been given the, the power to say no when those temptations rise up. Why? Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is living and active in you. That same power we have access to. Galatians chapter 5, Paul is, is writing. He says, so I say, I say, this is just what I say. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then, when's then, when the Holy Spirit is guiding? See, when I let go of the control, when I let go, Jesus, take the wheel. When the Holy Spirit guides my life, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. As long as you are in control of your life, you will be continually pulling yourself out of a ditch. You will be continually taking the wrong turn. You will be continually flipping around in, in the Holy Spirit the whole time as your GPS is like recalibrating. Recal okay, now, now take your next right. Oh, we missed that one too. Okay, in 200 yards, take a right. We missed that one too. Somebody called AAA because, right? Like that's what happens when we leave. But he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Why? Because then you won't be a slave doing what your sinful nature craves. Ephesians chapter three, he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you. Empower, how many wanna be empowered? Come on. He will empower you with inner strength through what? His spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. In these two verses, we see two roles of the Holy Spirit. It's multifaceted. He has many different roles. But we see two roles very specifically that he, he plays in our overcoming of our sinful nature. Number one, he leads us. But number two, he empowers us. The Holy Spirit will lead you but he will also empower you to live the life that you've been called to live. We see that even in Jesus's story. In Luke chapter four, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days for what? Why did he go into the desert? To be tempted, to be tempted by the devil, right? We, we, we recognize that scripture. We read that scripture. We see that scripture, but I wanna point two things out to you in that scripture. Luke chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus, who was already full of the Holy Spirit, remember because he had been baptized when he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit, like a dove descended. Father, this is my son. We don't need to recant the whole story. Full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan River, having been baptized, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into this season of testing and temptation. He was led, the Holy Spirit directed him 
to go there. Jesus goes three times. The devil tempts him three times. Jesus overcomes by the power of the word. And look at what it says when Jesus came out victorious. It says that then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. So going into it, he was led by the spirit coming out of it. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you go into a a trying season, when, when you're living your daily life, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and he'll, he'll tell you which way to go. But when you come into those situations where your temptations are rising up from inside of you and from your own evil desires, or the enemy puts something in your path to cause you to stumble and fall, you can lean on the Holy Spirit and trust that he's going to empower you to overcome in that moment. Then you walk out of that situation filled with the Holy Spirit, not only as my, my lead, but also as the power that enables and strengthens me. So you need to receive power. You need to receive power over it. Jesus followed the direction, but then was given the power to overcome the temptation and the sin. And as believers, we have the same access. If you, are, if you have been born again, if you have experienced that new life in Christ, your sinful nature, guess what? It's still there still there. It's not going anywhere. But we've been given victory over it. Why? Because Christ has made my spirit alive. Now I'm no longer a slave to my sinful nature, but I can choose to live according to the spirit. That, that penalty of sin, Jesus has paid that price too. He hung on the cross. He took upon him your sin. Your sin was placed in his account. His righteousness was placed in your account. Now I don't have to, to pay the penalty of that because Christ has done that. Does that mean that I'm never going to sin again? No, I will, I will still struggle with personal sin as the manifestation of my sinful nature. But when that comes, Jesus will forgive me. And as that arises, God gives me the power to overcome that as I'm transformed into his image. As I continue to live this new life in Christ. As I continue to grow in relationship with him and relationship with others. As I continue to recognize sin, calling it out in my life for what it is, not trying to justify it. As I continue to live a lifestyle, listen, confession and repentance is not an event, it's a lifestyle. Yes. Confession is not one thing that, well, one time I, I go into a booth and the priest is there and I confess my sins and I come out and I have to say seven Hail Marys. That's, that's not what it is. It's, it's this lifestyle of God. There are things inside of me, like David said, God, search my heart. There's anything in me that grieves you, show it to me. Why? So that I can get rid of a lifestyle of confession, lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing. You know how many times I have to repent? At least three times a day. Angel said at least. Last night. Last night was date night. Kids were at the babysitters. It was just us. I was in a bad mood because I hadn't eaten all day. I was hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Like not hungry, but hangry? I was hangry. She came home and I was giving her all kinds of attitude. She's like, listen, I'm not gonna let you ruin our date night. So you need to change your attitude. I'm like, God, she's right. I didn't tell her she was right, but I told God she was right. <laughs> and I repent. I don't wanna keep walking that way. God, help me to turn around and walk in a new way every day. It's a, because it's a daily discipline. God, let me, let me be repentant. Let me not be so prideful as to think that there's not anything in me that I need to give over to, to Christ. But let me humble myself, recognizing that I'm just, I'm just, like Paul said, I'm the worst. I'm the chief of all sinners. That's me. Confess, repent, remove, and replace. 
God, help me daily take off the sinful nature as you clothe me with your nature. That I would take off the, the old mind, be renewed by the transforming of my mind through your spirit. And that you would, you would fix up this, this broken heart of mine, replace it with yours. Take out my desires, replace them with yours. And every day, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you empower me to live the life that you have called me to live as followers of Jesus, as those who have been born into his family, as children of God. We have the promise of overcoming sin, not because of anything that we've done or could do, but because Christ overcame. Because he overcame, so can we. Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Here's what I would encourage you to do. So Pastor John, what is my takeaway? Well, look at those four steps. What do you need to do? Where are you at? Maybe, maybe you recognize the sin and you call it what it is, but maybe you haven't confessed it. Maybe you haven't confessed it to God. I would also encourage you, find somebody that you trust. Find somebody in a, in a small group or, or if you're married, your spouse or a close friend that you can go to and say, listen, there's this thing in me that God has shown me. I just need to confess it because I need to bring it into the light. Confess, repent. Where are you on that list? If, if, if you haven't been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit today, I want, I'm gonna pray for you. Yeah. I'm gonna pray that wherever you find yourself, wherever you're at, those of you even watching online, the Holy Spirit is not relegated to a place. So wherever you find yourself today, I'm gonna pray that you would be filled with the power of God's Spirit to live the life that he has called you to live, that as, as Christ overcame, so you might also overcome, not through your own power, but through the Spirit's power in you. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that, that, that you came and, and even as Paul wrote, he said that, that, that you have freed us from all kinds of sin, from every kind of sin. God, that you have paid the price, that we are no longer a slave to our sinful nature, but our spirits have been made alive in you. That you paid the price for my sin and, and instead imputed upon me your righteousness that I didn't deserve. God, in your love and in your mercy and in your grace, you, choose, you chose to do that. And God, the personal sin that we all deal with on a daily basis. Today, I pray that you would, you would help us to, to recognize those things, to call those things out, not justifying, not making excuses, but calling it what it is that we would confess and repent, turning from that, living this new life that you have, you have, you have called us to live, removing and replacing. God, may we fill that with your word. May we fill that with, with relationship with you. May we feel that with our, our desire to pursue you. And then God, receiving the power to, to overcome. And even right now, if that's you, if you're here today and you say, I want the power of the spirit to be in my life, that I would be an overcomer and I would be able to, to overcome that personal sin and that daily temptation of sin. If that's you, wherever you're at, just go ahead and raise your hands. Just lift your hands and I'm gonna pray for you. God, you see the hands that are raised right now and even the hands that aren't raised. God, we all need your power. And we all need your spirit. We all need, Holy Spirit, we need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. We need you to reveal truth in our lives. We need you to, to comfort us and we need you to encourage us and, and all the roles that you play and in, in, in all that you do for us. But God, we also, we also need your power. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you empower us today? to live the lives that you have called us to live, recognizing that, that the, the old is gone, the new has come, but God, give us the, the power to live the life that you have laid out for us to live. 
No longer comparing ourselves to others or to our old selves, but comparing us to your perfect standard of measurement as we are continuously transformed into your image. God, help us to be a reflection of you, of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. God, if there is any sin in our lives today, we confess it. We repent of it. We remove it and we replace it. And God, we, we thank you walking out here empowered to overcome it and to live above it. We love you and we thank you. Go with us this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Did you get something today? Did you learn something? Listen, if you're, if you're here today, before we're dismissed and as we're being dismissed, if you're here today, maybe... Maybe there are some things in your life that you need to confess. You want somebody to pray with you about. Maybe you've, you've recently given your heart to the Lord. Our prayer team is down here. Any need that you have, we would love to be able to minister to you in that way. If not, be blessed, be dismissed. Love you, church. We'll see you guys next week. Dream City Omaha is here to help you discover Christ, recover your identity, and uncover your purpose. We encourage you to check out our past sermon series and our discipleship classes. And don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date.